Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. I'm David Williams, president of Health Biz Group, and I am here today with two executives in regenerative medicine for a roundtable in advance of the J.P. Morgan conference. And of course, uh, this is a virtual discussion, and it looks like it will be as real as anything is going to be at J.P. Morgan this year, given the format. So welcome to BJ Lehman, CEO of Athersis, and Pete Mariani, CFO of Axigen. Great to be with you, David. Very good. So I want to hear a little bit about uh, both of your companies and the pipelines, just so we have a sense of you know what it is that you're that you're working on and kind of what the what the context is all all about in regenerative uh, medicine. And Pete, maybe you go first. Sure. Well, with Axigen, um, Axigen is in the business of nerve repair. Every day, people undergo or incur traumatic injuries or surgical procedures that impact the function of their peripheral nerves. And there's a need for advanced technologies that are both economical and uh, uh, less comorbidities uh, for patients uh, to repair those nerves and allow them to get a return of normal function. And we're the only company in the world that's right now working to on a commercially available nerve allograft product that allows us to bridge uh, discontinuities of nerve and allow nerve fibers to regenerate across the gap and returning uh, both a return of sensation and function uh, to patients uh, who have who have this type of injury. Great. And how about you, BJ? Uh, thanks. No, Athrosis is a company that's in the regenerative medicine space. We're focused on cell therapy, allogeneic cell therapy. And while we have some focused areas uh, where our lead program is in stroke, uh, we have a product that has the potential to treat a variety of different disease conditions. Uh, we've been active for over a decade now developing the product. Uh, we're at a different stage uh, than, than Pete's company. Uh, we're in late stage clinical development. So we're running pivotal studies right now. So we're approaching uh, those, those key moments uh, where we have data, turn the card over, and move towards commercialization, which we're looking forward to and preparing uh, uh, to do. Um, lead indication in stroke, uh, we have uh, an indi- uh, a program focusing on ARDS, which I think, as you both know, is one of the key uh, issues um, around COVID right now. These are very sick patients that go on the ventilator, so we have a program, advanced program there. Uh, we're working in trauma. We've done work in cardiovascular disease. Uh, we've worked in the bone. Uh, we've worked in the neurological area. Uh, MS is an example as a target indication. You know, fundamentally, the cell product modulates the immune system, and the immune system, as we all know, is involved in many, many disease conditions. So it's got broad applicability, but we're focused on stroke as the lead indication. You know, this roundtable, like the one I did uh, last week on CNS, is one where I think the listeners are going to say, well, I hope you're both very successful in what you do because there's a lot of patients that are going to be helped out if that is the case. Now, regenerative medicine is an area with, you know, tons of promise and at the same time, uh, not always easy to do the development and the commercialization and to make the, you know, the economic model work for it. Now, 2021, which I thought was the year of... uh, you know, the year of the pandemic or one of the years of the pandemic has also been declared uh, by the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine as a year of firsts and records. And they came out with a, with a report uh, back in the summer on that. 
you know, from both of your standpoints, where are we in terms of, you know, regenerative uh, medicine? Is it like very early? We're right on the cusp. We're well into the, the kind of commercial era. And, and any reflection on, you know, that alliance or that report, if you've, if you've seen it? I, I'm happy to take a first cut. Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. And I, I think one of the interesting points is there be there will be many years of first in the next couple of years. I mean, if you look back at the report, you you know follow the industry over the past couple of years, there's more investment in the area, there are more clinical trials going, there are more approvals, there are more commercial products, and that will continue over the next, you know, half decade to decade. So I think you're going to see a series of firsts over that period of time. Um, it's exciting. You know, the pharmaceutical companies are now uh, very involved. Uh, they're making big bets on immunoecology plays in particular, you know, focused on the CAR-T therapies and, and other therapies. Um, you know, the allogeneic players, the space in which we're uh, active, are advancing into pivotal studies, uh, you know, moving towards approval. Uh, the, you know, the allograph companies, you know, they've had great success and are commercial already. So they're, they're leading the charge. They're in the vanguard. Uh, so we can learn from them as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I do think we're early stages. And uh, in addition to what BJ was saying, I, I think the FDA has been working and we've been working constructively, I think, with the FDA on the biologics license application and the whole uh, biologics classification is is coming along quite well and um, i think as more clear as, as investors get more clarity of what that means as companies continue down the path like we are of converting in our case a tissue-based product to a biologic um, as we see more success along that rate i think it's just going to bring um, more investment and more ideas um, and more invention to the space and what do you see in terms of, you know, the specific challenges? And any kind of uh, development of a new therapy is, is challenging. What are the particular things where you might have a, a challenge with, you know, stem cell therapies and other regenerative medicine? And what do you do? You mentioned, Pete, a little bit working you know, with the FDA, but, you know, how do you actually overcome some of these particular challenges in the space? Well, I, I look, I think I'll just stick with what we're doing. You know, when, when you talk about uh, nerve uh, fiber regeneration or just regenerative uh, medicine in general, um, I think it's staying very uh, clear and concise uh, with the FDA, making a very good case for your product, bringing um, data that's very clearly understood, well-constructed. I think those things are really important, especially, I mean, th those are always important when you're bringing new technologies to the field. Um, but I think specifically in this case, because there are uh, a number of players out there who would make uh, some claims about their products that the FDA and I think all of us should be very concerned about because there isn't a lot of data behind it. And I think there are some, you know, like in our case and others, where there's some very, very well-founded um, abilities to bring advances to healthcare and medicine that can be uh, proven out and can have uh, significant data behind it. And I think that's where you need to stay um, and, and, and stay anchored in the data as you continue to bring these ideas to uh, to the fore. I would agree 100%. I mean, uh, our general strategy and philosophy has been to develop a product based on, you know, foundational science, good data, uh, and doing it in a collaborative way with the regulators, whether it's the FDA, EMA, PMDA in Japan. Uh, there are a number of challenges, and I think it varies by, you know, the specific subsector in regenerative medicine. 
Um, you know, I know the challenges in the allograft world are different than what they are for what we're doing with allogeneic cell therapies. For us, um, you know, of course, demonstrating efficacy in a safe environment is key. But from a regulatory perspective, um, the regulators really want to understand how the product works. And these cell mm -hmm. therapies are not like small molecules or, you know, single mechanism proteins or antibodies. You know, they work through multiple uh, modes of action, and that can complicate uh, the regulatory dialogue. I mean, it requires, frankly, a, a great de a degree of characterization of the product, and we've spent a lot of time doing that. So that's been a big part of the dialogue, understanding that mechanism of action, how that translates into clinical effect. One of the other areas of focus amongst the regulators, and, and we've seen this as we've gone through the development process, is manufacturing the product. You know, again, cell therapies are in the early days from a manufacturing perspective. You know, think about the antibody world in the 1990s when they were just bringing these therapies into the market. Um, they had learned how to manufacture them consistently and at scale, but it was, you know, it was generation one or two. And we're, we're approaching that period with the cell therapies. Again, it varies by class of, you know, the therapeutics, uh, but for the allogeneic cell therapies like ours, where we're targeting large markets like stroke, you've got to make a lot of product and you've got to make it consistently. And so that's been a big focus of our company and it's been a big part of the dialogue with the regulators over the past couple of years and it's going to increase to increase in, in terms of its importance as we approach uh, readouts from pivotal studies and the whole application process. You know. I know that the, uh, it's not that I know so much about the development of, of regenerative uh, products, but I know just even as a podcaster, um, I noticed that I had uh, done an, an interview or two with people that are in the, in the space of developing regenerative uh, medicine products, and they were sort of suppressed on, uh, on the YouTube where I have my, my videos and the podcasts. And I looked on the Google policies, you know, and they, they discourage people from talking about, you know, speculative unproven things and regenerative medicine is specifically mentioned and I'm thinking of course it's unproven that's why you're doing you know you're doing development and it's being submitted to the FDA but it's it's loop you know it's sort of lumped in I think Pete as you were implying with with all sorts of other stuff that's out there that you don't want to be associated with so uh, it's just one more one more hurdle I, I want to uh, touch on um, you know uh, BJ you mentioned a couple of times the allogeneic uh, approach that you're, you're taking as opposed to the allograft side and the allogeneic therapies are really the ones that are just sort of coming through now. They weren't the, the first ones. Can you explain why why is it that we're sort of seeing this this order? You know, why the allografts first, and then on the allogeneic side, both, you know, why do those come second, and then kind of what's the potential? You know, you're talking about going after these large markets. Um, can you just, just draw out those distinctions a little bit? And Pete, if you want to comment as well. Sure. Um, you know, a couple of things, and, and Pete can talk and admit much more comprehensively than I can about the allograft, but that sector kind of evolves from the tissue uh, world, and, you know, that's been active for decades. And so, you know, in a way, that's first because it was first uh, with, you know, organ donations and using that tissue in an effective way to help patients. On the cell therapy side, um, starting in the 2000s, around you know, a variety of different stem cell types. Uh, there was work, autologous work, so it was taking cells from a patient, per perhaps manipulating them, perhaps just bringing them back in at a different point in time to treat therapy. 
then there was beginning to be work around these allogeneic cell therapies like ours. And, you know, the whole development process takes years. And, in fact, we've been in development for about a decade. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, it varies by, you know, class. So the CAR-Ts right now, these engineered T-cell therapies, the first ones on the market are autologous, right? So you're taking a cell from a patient, shipping it off, it's being engineered, uh, and, you know, an antigen, so it, 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 it's targeting uh, a cancer. And these are brought back into the patient. And there are companies now following with allogeneic CAR-Ts, and that's going to open up the market. Right, it makes it far easier to produce product and, and address many, many conditions potentially. So I think part of this is about you know the development of the technologies. I think in, in our world of cell therapy, typically it started with autologous treatments, and then as folks understood of the potential for treating a much larger number of patients, considering whether or not an allogeneic cell therapy A is safe, and B can be produced uh, in a consistent way to have efficacy in a clinical setting. Yeah, and, and on the allograft side, I mean, um, BJ's right. I mean, allografts have been around for a while. You know, it's, um, you know, the, our founder actually started by doing allograft bone tissue and then found a way, worked for years to figure out a way to take that type of technology and apply it to nerves and found a way to uh, decellularize nerves in a way that preserve that very delicate endonerial structure of the nerve tissue and preserve that natural laminin protein so that um, nerve fibers would be able to easily regenerate across the gap and 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 you in that tissue itself uh, vascularizes and and becomes the patient's own tissue again that's what the whole concept of these allografts is all about and where the FDA um, I think properly got to was as a lot of us were beginning to say you know what we could take these this tissue and we could add something to it uh, in our case, you could either create a kit where you have some connectors on either end, or there were, you know, you could potentially put uh, growth factors on a, on, a, on a tissue allograph of some sort that might help to speed up or improve the, the, the regeneration of, of the tissue. And the FDA recognized that, you know, if, if companies are going get, to get down this road, and, and we were already down that road, they needed to create a more um, structured process uh, to evaluate uh, the data and evaluate the claims and approve them uh, in a different format. And that's been this whole decade plus long journey of creating or taking you know, tissue-based products into the BLA world, which looks a whole lot more like a, a pharmaceutical type approval process. And you know, we're well down that path. We're gonna have a top line data readout in the second quarter of, of next year on our recon uh, study, which is you know our pivotal study for our BLA application, the FDA has worked with us. You know, very like I said, very constructively. We're allowed to completely market this product given the years and years of clinical data that we we have. That you know we'll continue to commercially market the product as long as we're continually working through this BLA conversion, which we're doing. Um, and you know we would expect to file for BLA and in 2023 and uh, you know get the BLA probably a year after that. So the FDA I think again is has worked very constructively on this allograft side to create a, a path, a regulatory pathway that allows these advanced technologies to come onto these allografts and continue to advance ideas for healthcare. You know, talk a lot about you know FDA and working with the FDA and I assume that the 
you know, U.S. market is the first target because it's large and also because these therapies are relatively expensive. Is that right? And then what do you see in terms of um, rest of world, Europe, Asia, you know, other rich markets? Where, uh, where do think, how, how is it developing differently and, and kind of what's, what would be the commercial pathway from the U.S.? Well, I, look, I'll, I'll go first again from the allograph side, which is probably a little easier. Um, it's, it is when you get into Europe, um, you know, you don't see EMARC tissue. You, you, it's, you have to go country by country. So it's a little different uh, regulatory path. You do have to go country by country, and each of those countries has their own uh, tissue regulations, and some of them are beginning to deal with this, you know, BLA-type application as well. So it does get a little more complicated, OUS. But I think the desire in these OUS markets is to bring this technology uh, in, uh, in in a in a constructive way, and I think those markets will work through that over time. Yeah, you know, I, I think with respect to our product and some of the other immune oncology products, um, I think the the typical kind of global pharmaceutical markets are all active. They all mm-hmm. are. And the pharmaceutical companies in each of those geographies are becoming active. We've done work, research in Asia. We've done plenty of research in the United States. We've done research in Europe. We've done clinical work in all three of those geographies. We have a partner in Japan. Um, you know, it's interesting, in, in certain of the geographies, they are even potentially a little bit more progressive uh, than our regulators are in advancing these therapies. It's not to say the FDA is not working closely with us. They are. You know, CBER in particular in our world has been very helpful in guiding our development. But for example, in Japan, um, they have more progressive regenerative medicine laws, and it's set up to provide a pathway uh, that can facilitate development and, and get some of these products into patients earlier than they would otherwise get the patients, presume, you know, presuming they're safe. And there is some evidence of efficacy. Um, and so we're hopeful that some of these therapies, including ours, uh, can reach patients relatively soon in markets like Japan. For us, the U.S. is the key market. As you point out, it's the largest market. Uh, you know, I, it's a large number of patients, you know, largest in terms of revenue potential. Um, and so we are focusing a lot of our capability development around the U.S. market, partnering in Japan, otherwise in Asia, planning to partner in Europe uh, to really take advantage of capabilities that others have, particularly with respect to commercialization, but owning the research, the technology, the manufacturing piece, which is core to the value proposition, you know, the product. I think you both made it clear that, you know, you need a long time horizon uh, to be able to do the development and commercialization of regenerative medicine products. So I, I normally ask a question about sort of like, What's in the future? But I know in the future, it's sort of you've got to see this through to the, you know, the conclusion, which takes some time. But, but jump ahead maybe 10 years or whatever your time frame is sort of beyond the current uh, you know, cycle of, of development. And you know, what can we expect from regenerative uh, medicine 10 years down the line you know, for, for my kids or, or grandkids or whatever? How, how might the world look different as a result of the vision that you're, that you're putting forward? Well, look, I just think broadly, um, 10 years from now, there's going to be uh, more products available in this space. Uh, again, I'll, if I answer it from my side of the business, I, I think it, the, the process of, of getting more allograft uh, tissue available for repairs, um, I think is going to help patients get uh, more complete repairs, whether it's nerve repair or other tissue-based products. 
Um, I think you're going to see more advances uh, that makes it easier uh, for uh, patients to get uh, the, this type of treatment and, and certainly more economical across uh, the healthcare systems. I, I see immense opportunity. I mean, 10 years, I think, is the right horizon to see real impact in the patient population. So I would expect to see uh, more advanced immuno-oncology products, uh, the allogeneic variety, probably having success with solid cancers, which is going to, it's the holy grail of the space. Mm -hmm. uh, on the allogeneic cell therapy side, I, I see the cell therapies addressing large markets, such as strokes and the cardiovascular markets uh, and so forth. I see the advent of gene-modified cell therapies coming into the market. There are some in the development pipeline right now. That would make these, these therapies even more targeted or more effective, potentially safer, you know, depending on the application. So I would expect to see uh, approvals in, in several of those uh, kind of plays in the market. There are a whole bunch of other plays we're not talking about here on the gene therapy side, which in some ways are coordinated with cell therapies, in some ways they're not, but those have tr tremendous potential as well over the next five to ten years. Targeting specific genes and proteins, you know, for gene replacement therapy and the like, I think just it, it opens up tremendous opportunity, particularly for some of these orphan indications or indications that are intractable, you know, with respect to treatments today. Great. I'm excited by it. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 just it's it's great. It's a great landscape and a great opportunity, and I, I see major impact. I think it's wonderful to you know have that big uh, vision and be excited by it, and then do all the blocking and tackling and all the you know the hard work that it takes to get from from here to there. So I want to say thank you, B.J. Lehman, CEO of Athersis, and Pete Mariani, CFO of Axigen, for participating with me today on the Health Biz Podcast for our regenerative medicine roundtable in advance of J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Thank you very much and, and best wishes to both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank you all. Bye. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.